everybody. It's Pastor Chad. Today is Sunday, August 1st, 2021. Welcome to The Way Radio Live, The Way R122 Ministry Live. Glad you guys are here. And the title of today's message is So That You May Believe, and it's based on John 11, 1 through 16. And it seems like every message now uh, is pertinent for the times in which we live. They apply in some way, uh, which just happens to happen because as the world spirals out of control, God's word uh, just shines more brightly. The gospel message becomes um, more beautiful. And this is one of those messages that I really think gives us a lot of comfort and helps us uh, as we navigate through the insanity of what's taking place in so much of the world today. So again, the message is entitled so that you may believe, it's based on John chapter 11, verses 1 through 16. So let's pray, and we will get into today's message. Heavenly Father, we just thank you again that we're able to gather here online each Sunday, that you've uh, blessed us with this opportunity and the ability to use uh, technology to gather together, to learn of you, and to delve into the message of the gospel. And Lord, I just ask, ask that you would bless this message today, that you would bless each person that hears it, and that you would do a mighty work through it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So that you may believe, based on John 11, 1 through 16. And I want to preface it because it's really, uh, the message is going to focus on John 11, 1 through 16. But it really helps us understand more clearly um, Romans 8.28, which says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together according to his will and his purpose. Or, And we know that for, for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. I was referring to a, another uh, interpretation of this that I have memorized that's not exactly the ESV. So let's begin, keep Romans 8.28 in mind as we go through this message, but let's begin by reading John 11, 1 through 16. And like I've said before, it's a good idea to have your Bible, even though I put the scriptures up on screen as I go through them. Um, and also, I think it's a really good idea to keep a journal as you listen to the sermons, take notes, write down questions. And uh, even in your private Bible study, a journal is a great blessing because it helps us understand uh, our growth and to learn as we strive to learn more of God's word. So let's read John 11, 1 through 16. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village uh, of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that, me, that we may die with him. This is one of those uh, portions of scripture that's just so powerful and a, and a portion of Jesus's life and ministry that is, there, there's so much to learn from it. And there's so many ways to understand it and to apply it and to see the, the beauty of the gospel message in it and through it. But what I'm focusing on today is how it helps us understand more fully the truth of Romans 8.28, which says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called 
according to his purpose. So let's look at John 11, 1 through 3 to get started here. It says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Now, Bethany was not far from Jerusalem, and Christ often stayed there. We see it mentioned quite a few times in the Gospels uh, in Christ's ministry. And Jesus knew, and he was very close to Lazarus and Lazarus's sisters. It was a family that we feel Christ was probably uh, very close friends with and had a very close relationship with. And we see this because they knew where Jesus was and they didn't hesitate to send to him in asking for help when Lazarus fell ill. So they were close enough to Jesus to know where he was at that time in his ministry. And the thing that we see here where it says, so the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill, is we see a picture of inter intercessory prayer. If you look at Hebrews 4.16, it says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is what the sisters were seeking from the Lord, grace to help in time of need. They were interceding with the Lord on behalf of their brother Lazarus who had fallen ill. So it's a beautiful portrayal that we see here of intercessory prayer on the behalf of someone that we love. And they said, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Notice the wording here. Lord, he whom you love is ill. Not he who loves you is ill, but he whom you love is ill. And that reminded me of 1 John 4, 19, where it says, we love because he first loved us. And isn't it interesting that they didn't say, he who loves you is ill, because that would have in some way, I feel, tried to give some credit to Lazarus for the love that he had for the Lord. But the reason that Lazarus loved the Lord is why? Because the Lord first loved him. So when they called him and they were explaining that Lazarus was ill, their wording was, he whom you love is ill. And we love because he first loved us. God's grace, God's love. And his mercy is what draws us to the Lord. And I believe that they understood this very well. They understood God's grace and their perspective was correct as they interceded with the Lord on behalf of their brother, brother Lazarus. Now let's look at verse four. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Now we know from this portion of scripture I want to make sure there's one point I wanted to make here. Okay. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Obviously we know anybody that's ever heard this uh, portion of scripture, we know that Lazarus dies. This illness is so severe that it kills Lazarus and he dies. But Jesus said, says, it is for the glory of God so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. And this, if we look back in John 9, 3, we see another instance that's very similar to this. And in that portion of scripture, Jesus is getting ready to heal a man who was born blind. And his disciples ask him, was this man born blind because he sent? Was it something that, is he blind because of something he did or something that his parents did? Is it because his parents sinned that he was born blind? And Jesus' response to that question was, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And we see this again in what's taking place with Mary and Martha and the raising of Lazarus. Now, this is important because in an age such as ours, when there is so much apostasy and so little discernment, an effective and piercing question is, how does this, meaning anything that we're faced with, bring glory to God? Charles Spurgeon said, discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. It's knowing the difference between right and almost right. Any fool can understand right and wrong, usually. But it's very difficult to discern often the difference between right and almost right. And that's where discernment lies. And the reason this is such an effective question 
in asking how does this, meaning anything, bring glory to God, is it very much helps us in discerning and making the proper decisions as we navigate through our lives. And this question can help Christians very much in, in making decisions and navigating as we move through life. And I'll give you some examples. And I'm referring to anything that we're faced with. How does this bring glory to God? So just think of any circumstance, situation, opportunity, change that you're thinking of making in life. Does it hinder or promote the message of the gospel? If you go down this road, you're, you know, you're faced with a fork in the road. We all face these many times in life. If you go to the left or the right, if you're deciding which way to go, one thing to ask yourself is, does this direction hinder or promote the message of the gospel? If I go this direction, am I going to hinder my walk with Christ, hinder the message of the gospel, or is it going to promote and help the message of the gospel? Very important to think that way. Does it reject or corrupt the gospel? If you're thinking of getting involved in something, say it's a movement or a teaching or a class or something's coming into your church that you're not sure about, it's often easy just to ask the question, does it reject or corrupt the gospel? This is extremely important in the modern church because I know this question is usually not asked uh, in the majority of the modern churches by Christian leadership. Does this program or this teaching or this book or this Bible study, whatever it is, does it reject or does it correct, corrupt the message of the gospel? If you search for the answer to that, you will end up making the right decision, most likely if you do it prayerfully and according to God's will and with the guiding of his word. Does it ignore, reject, or downplay the atonement? This is one of the easiest questions to ask when you're trying to identify a false teaching. So many people will spend their lives studying false religions. They'll spend you know, years studying the Book of Mormon or the writings of Jehovah's Witnesses or whatever it is. And some people, that's fine. That's, that's, that's what they have been led to do, to become experts in those false teachings so that they can expose them. But I will tell you that if you simply ask the question when presented with some of these teachings of does it ignore, reject, or downplay the atonement, you will be able to identify false teachings very easily. What do I mean by ignore, reject, or downplay the atonement? Do they claim that works need to be added onto the work that Christ accomplished on the cross? Remember, like I've said before, when Christ gave up the ghost before he died on the cross, he said, it is finished. What that meant is the work that needed to be done, the sacrifice that had to be made, the suffering that he undertook to atone for the sins of those that he came to die for, suffer and die for, it was finished. It was done. Nothing could be added to it. Nothing needed to be added to it. Nothing nothing can be added to it. But if someone claims that you have to belong to a certain church, a certain organization, a certain belief system, and you have to do certain things to add to what Christ did on the cross in order to earn your way into heaven along with what Christ did, you automatically know that that's a false belief system because what is it doing? It's downplaying the effectiveness of the atonement. And many false re religions just reject the atonement completely. Next question. Does it ignore, reject, or downplay the authority and sufficiency of Scripture? This is huge nowadays. This really is the cusp of the recovery reformation, recovery reformation ministry. Does it ignore, reject, or downplay the authority and sufficiency of Scripture? And really could say the authority and sufficiency of Christ, because we only come to know Christ through his word in Scripture. And this is the question that I constantly ask people that are trying to defend programs like, uh, especially Celebrate Recovery. Well, it's a Christian program. Yeah, it's based on the 12 steps. We thought the 12 steps were really good. We believe that they were, you know, from God, which when you read about the person that wrote them, and you read what they really teach, they're directly contradictory to the gospel message. But really, it's so easy to spot those false teachings, because the simple question is, if you believed in the authority and sufficiency of the gospel message in Scripture, would you ever think of adding something to them, especially that's contrary to them? And that's what Celebrate Recovery does. It took the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, tried to justify them in a Christian context by adding 
uh, Bible verses into them, which are mostly taken out of context. When you study them, it's very easy to see how they, they're abusing them and taking them out of context. But the real question is, how could you ever profess to believe in the authority and sufficiency of Scripture if you're relying on something outside of Scripture to try to help people overcome an addiction or a sin of any kind? You see, so that's a very important question in the modern church. Does what you're involved in ignore, reject, or downplay the authority and sufficiency of Scripture? Does it reject, deny, or downplay the sovereignty of God? And this is where you get into that big problem with people rejecting the idea that God elects those that are drawn to his Son. He has chosen us. We are born again. We are regenerated that is why we come to place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That is why we believe. But many like to turn that around and say, no, because I've made a decision, I am then born again, regenerated, and, and, and it's because I decided to believe. Doing that is rejecting the sovereign choice and election and predestination of God. So you can ask that question. Does this belief reject, deny, or downplay the sovereignty of God? You can see how these types of questions can really help sharpen your discernment, and you can apply that to everything in life. If you're thinking of moving to another place, is this going to hinder my walk or help my walk? Will it further the gospel, hinder the gospel? You see? Very easy to make life decisions if you look at things in this way. But humanistic Christianity has pushed, pushed much of the above questions out of the modern church. They're not even considered. And if you really, if you write those down, those questions that I just stated, and you really start thinking about that, it's easy to make decisions biblically and according to God's will. Let's look at verses 11, John 11, 5 and 6. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. What a strange two verses of scripture. So they're told that Lazarus, he's told that Lazarus is ill, ill enough that his sisters have sent for Jesus to come. So they know that it's severe and life-threatening. So Jesus knows it's a severe illness. He loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And then the next verse says, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. You would think if he loved him, he would have dropped everything, stopped what he was doing, and rushed to where they were to take care of Lazarus. So why did Jesus wait two days? If Jesus loved Lazarus and his sisters, why did he stay two days longer knowing of Lazarus's illness and the distressing concern of his sister's? And this is a very important lesson here for Christians, because as Lazarus is ill, he's suffering in his illness. His sisters are suffering in worry and concern, but Jesus waits two days to go. And I think what we can learn from this is we have to be concerned with God's will, not our will, with God's timing, not our timing, with God's plan, not our plans. This is one of the hardest things for any Christian to wrestle with. Letting go of things that we believe have to be dealt with right now, problems that we feel have to be fixed immediately because they're just causing us too much pain, too much anxiety, too much stress. Something has to be done to fix this now. And so instead of praying that the Lord address it according to his will, his timing, and his plan, we go to God in prayer and we lay out the blueprint that we think is going to work best to solve the problem and just say, Lord, just, just, if you could just do it this way, I've given you some check boxes. This is how this problem has to be taken care of by this time. Please take care of this. That's not how God works. So he waited two days because it was according to his will. It was according to his timing and it was according to his plan. God works in ways that we cannot see or understand but that we must have faith in. This is one of the most important reasons for studying God's word. Through his word, we come to see how God will care for, provide, and take care of us according to his will and for his glory. We must have faith. And folks, I believe, like I said, there's so many messages now that are important for the times in which we live. I think this is one of those things we have to really strive to understand. 
it can be very frustrating because we see what's going on. And really, especially over the last week, we're seeing that the, you know, the narrative of the, the whole COVID thing for the last year and a half, it's just falling apart. They're, they're tripping all over themselves. I mean, really, if you look at the, the main figures in the mainstream that are promoting this whole thing, they're almost like a bunch of clowns just running around in a room, crashing into each other and running into the walls because nothing makes sense from what, about what they're doing anymore. And even, you know, people that have gone along with this from the beginning are starting to say, what is happening? Because nothing makes sense anymore. That can become very distressing and very um, depressing for people if you let yourself be drawn into it. So you've got to step back and say, you know what? God's in control of this. God's letting this happen for a reason. It's according to his will. It's going to work out according to his timing, and it's going to work out according to his plan. And we just have to have faith in that. Because if that's not how we look at it, we're going to get as crazy as those that are lost in the world outside of Christ trying to figure this whole thing out. You see, you got to just sort of laugh at the whole thing at this point and say, God's going to take care of it. He's in control. I'm just going to trust in him, have faith in him and see where he leads through all this. Because regardless of how insane something seems, he will always be glorified through it. So it's God's will, God's timing, and God's plan. He works in ways that we cannot see, ways that we don't understand, and that we must have faith in. This is one of the most important reasons for studying his word. Through it, we come to see how God will care for, provide, take care of us according to his will and for his glory. We must have faith. I reiterate those points because they are so important. But consider this, back to the, this, the narrative that we're talking about here in, in this part of Scripture. Through this delay, by waiting two days, and they didn't know this when they were waiting, Jesus would bless them with something far greater than healing. If he had went immediately and, you know, say by the end of that day, bent to where Lazarus was and healed him, it would have been an amazing thing. It would have been an amazing miracle, and it would have brought him glory. But he blessed them and everyone that witnessed this with something far greater than healing. They would come to understand how even death could work for their good and to the glory of God. And what a strengthening of faith and deepening of belief the raising of Lazarus had to have been for them, for Mary and for uh, Martha and for Lazarus, and then for all of his disciples that witnessed this happening. Think of how much more powerful and how much stronger their belief was because of what they witnessed, which would have not happened had Christ not waited for the two days. James 1, 2 through 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Again, one of the hardest things for us to understand, and this is where maturity as a Christian becomes so valuable, because we realize that as we go through trials, if we're looking to the Lord, we understand that we understand that test, the testing of our faith produces steadfastness because we know God's in control, and that steadfastness having its full effect will bring us to perfection and completeness, and we will be lacking in nothing. So it helps us mature in the Lord. What a trial Lazarus and his sisters endured, but what a mighty work was done through it. Like I said, they had to have such faith for those two days as his sisters are doing everything they can to try to care for him and he's slipping away and he dies and then they're grieving and they're human. So they must have been wrestling with those emotions. Why did Christ not come? Where is he? Has he forgotten about us? You know, those thoughts had to have arisen. But after the whole thing was done, they had to have looked back and said, wow, what a blessing it was that he made us wait, that he allowed what happened to happen, because otherwise what took place would not have taken place. Now let's look at verses 7 and 8. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. So now he's ready to go to Judea. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? So they're referring to what we read. If you go back and you look at chapter 10 later, you'll see that Jesus in chapter 10 preaches that he and the Father are one, so he proclaims his divinity. He refers to the doctrine of election, and then he refers to eternal security. 
And the response is they want to stone him because they cannot tolerate what he's teaching. So it was a very ugly situation that had happened in chapter 10. The disciples were referring back to that and saying, why would we go back to Judea when they were just getting ready to stone you there? Why would we go back into that danger? And it made sense that they would fear returning to Judea. But what you have to understand is when Jesus calls, he also leads and he goes with us. We are never alone, even, even in the seemingly most dire circumstances. And this, again, is one of those lessons that's going to be so important as we move forward in time now. If the world can, continues on this trajectory of just uh, insanity, and there's so many crazy things going on in the world, one of the things that we're going to see is more and more professing Christians falling away. I believe that's, that's the great apostasy is happening, and we're going to see all of those that have been in false religions or in shallow Christianity. Like I've said, I believe that only maybe 10% of the professing church is actually saved. So we're going to see a lot of people falling away. And what that means is you will continue as you walk with the Lord and you strive to stay on that narrow path, people wandering off onto other paths. So you'll be more and more alone. But that is a blessing because you're more and more with the Lord. And those that are still with you are purer and holier and more conformed to the image of Christ. Do not let that instill self-righteousness. But we have to prepare for that, understanding that when Jesus calls, he also leads and he goes with us. So we are never alone, even in, in the most seemingly dire circumstances. Look at Psalm 23, 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Folks, if you're listening to this, you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. From the time you were born on this planet and you take your first breath, you're under the, the shadow of death. You're just moving towards the grave. That's all we're doing in this, uh, in this part of our existence. You see? but we are not alone and we are looking to something far greater. So even though that might sound dark and scary, it's not because this is not, it, we're living in an eternal existence and this is just a fraction of it. So with that in mind, I want you to ask yourself, because what are we, what are we talking about here? We're talking about eternal perspective. We're talking about making life count. We're talking about living with the ultimate purpose that in mind, what calling might you be afraid of? What stand might you not be taking? That's very important right now. People are being forced to make a stand either for right or wrong. What heresy might you be afraid to expose? Folks, so many Christians will not address heresy because they have friends that are in those heresies and the friendship is more important than the soul's. What heresy might you be afraid uh, be afraid to expose? What fear might be holding you back from pro proclaiming the gospel? What is it that's keeping you from being engaged in proclaiming the message of the gospel? And what insecurity might be keeping you from promoting and supporting the cause of the gospel? And why? The cause of the gospel would be much more fruitful and much more prosperous for the kingdom of God if more Christians were willing to get behind those that are engaged on the front lines of proclaiming the gospel message. This is one of the biggest frustrations that you come across when you engage in ministry, uh, like I'm in, like in going to Kenya, where you see false teachers with huge facilities, drawing huge crowds, filling you know massive arenas because they've got unlimited budgets. They have so much at their disposal that they can just do whatever they want. Why? Because they're of the world. So the world showers them with what the world has. Simply mammon or mammon, money. Allow my not my last trip, but the trip before to Kenya, I was driving with a couple of my Kenyan friends through this area of Nairobi, which is which is consider it's wealthy. There's nice homes there. Every home is gated. And there was this one mansion that they were building and there was cranes there and all these materials and workers crawling all over this huge mansion. And they said, that's one of the, the false teachers, the prosperity teachers that's doing very well in Kenya. And that his, that's his new home. So you see that everywhere. So when you see that, 
True Christians have to ask themselves what insecurities might be keeping you from promoting and supporting the cause of the gospel to fight back against those evil false teachers that are fighting against the truth of the cause of the gospel. Because that insecurity is really, I don't want to help in any way that's going to hinder my lifestyle that might put me in an uncomfortable position. And what is that? That's a faith issue, you see? But I'm telling you, right now is the time to step up to the plate and to start going for broke and to start engaging as much as possible in the cause of the gospel. This is why I'm so adamant that we help my friend, Pastor Patrick, expand his church, reach more people, because he is in such a key position in Nairobi where he's located, and we could reach so many people through there. And again, the only thing that keeps us from doing more and more and more, it always just comes down to money, because we're not of the world. I'm not, I'm not complaining at all, and I didn't even plan on mentioning to that. It just, I just decided to go ahead and share that. But if we had a nice budget to work with, we could be such a force against evil and the false teachings that are spreading in Kenya and all over Africa. The Christians have to ask themselves, what insecurities are there that are keeping you from being more engaged in the cause of the gospel and why? Look at Galatians 1.10. For I am not uh, actually, I've got three verses here to share with you guys that will reiterate these points. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul is making the point that am I preaching a gospel that's going to tickle people's ears that people want to hear? Or am I preaching the gospel that the Lord has laid on my heart? That's how we have to look at our ministry. 1 Thessalonians 2, 3, and 4. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. If you're truly trying to preach the gospel message without compromise, then you will know that when the Lord tests your heart, it's going to show us pure. 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. This is when Paul's teaching Timothy about ministry in 2 Timothy. Now let's look at verse uh, verses John 11, 9 and 10. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Now, to put, to put this into context, go back and look at verse 8 again. <clears throat> it says, the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? And I love Jesus' response because he pretty much ignores the threat. He's basically just in a roundabout way saying, I really don't care what the Jews think or what they threaten. Are there not 12 hours in the day? He's saying, we've got work to do. You see, we've got work to do. If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. I'm not going to stumble over the roadblocks that they put in front of me. I'm not going to be stopped by the stones that they hurl at me because I have the light of day and I can see what they're trying to do because I'm walking in the light. They're in darkness. They're stumbling around. You see? But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. The light of this world. Jesus says, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble. Why? Because he sees the light of this world. What is Jesus referring to here? John 8, 12 says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So what he's telling us is we are to make the best use of the time that we have we are walking in the light and we see the light because we are looking to Jesus Christ and because of his grace and his love and his mercy, we see his light and he guides us through the darkness of this world. Folks, there is so much to do for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you want to overcome the stress and the darkness and the turmoil and the chaos and everything that's going on in the world right now, engage in the cause of the gospel. And I'm not saying you've got to go preach it. Get behind a ministry and support it. 
If you're called to preach it, go preach it. Just get involved in it because that will give you a purpose that will enable you to rise above the darkness and the turmoil and the stupidity that's going on all over the world right now. There is no place for fear or procrastination in the Christian life. We are to live boldly, courageously, confidently because we abide in Christ and we bring the truth of the gospel. Our purpose for living is spelled out for us in the word and what a blessing that is. That is how we get through the times in which we live. And then you have to ask yourself, how much time is wasted on worldly pursuits and distractions that should be used for the cause of Jesus Christ? Matthew 13, 22 says, As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. So I have to ask you the question, are you bearing fruit for the kingdom or slogging along mindlessly in the world? This is one of the biggest things I've seen trip people up since I've been in ministry. People claim to come to Christ. They're all excited. And about six months later, you never hear from them again because they are drawn back into the world. It's deceitfulness, the deceitfulness of riches and the cares that the world places upon them. They cannot separate that. And so they go back to it. That, that, I'd say that's one of the leading issues that I've seen since I've been in ministry. Look at Ephesians 5, 15 and 16. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Now, I'll tell you how important that verse is to me. If I could move the camera, but I can't. I have it taped on my desk right here. As I work every day, Ephesians 5, 15 and 17 is right here in front of me on my desk. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. That's really test you. If you go to bed at night and you look back over your day, you have to ask, did I make the best use of the time? How much time did I spend scrolling through Facebook? How much time did I spend watching ridiculous television shows? How much time did I spend thinking about sports? Start asking yourselves those questions. Are you making the best use of the time? That'll mess you up when you really start thinking about it. Because I'm telling you, our world masterfully distracts people from what they really should be doing, especially now with social media. I mean, I've got a, another note on my whiteboard in my office. FB equals time wasted. Facebook equals time wasted. I have to get on there once in a while because I promote the ministry on there, but I try to force myself to get off as quickly as possible. Think about what you're spending your time doing. Are you making the best use of the time? Look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 4 and 6, 4 through 6. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. There's no punches pulled here. You're not to be like those that are lost. You're to live in a whole different way. Do you see? A whole different way. Folks, if you don't think that most of those in the world are asleep, look around at what passes for entertainment and amusement. Look at what's on the Disney Channel, on morning TV, regular TV, modern music, social media, the manufactured reality that the majority of the world is trapped in. It's horrifying, absolutely horrifying. And you have to think, do you want to look back? It's bad enough to look back on your day and go, wow, I wasted all that time. But imagine looking back on years, maybe even a life, thinking I did nothing did not make the best use of the time. We have to account for that. Think about that. John 8, 12 says, Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Folks, do not be conformed to this world. Again, Romans 12, 2 is our ministry verse. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The more we study the gospel, the less we as individuals and the church will conform to the world and the more we will be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Consider the verse 10 says, because the light is not in him. 
Those that are in the dark are in the dark because they do not have the light of Christ in him. You see? Matthew 5.14 says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. And like I've said over and over again, the world growing more and more chaotic and out of control and more dark is a blessing for the cause of the gospel because the true message shines brighter. Let's look at John 11, 11 through 13. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Now death was referred to as sleeping a couple other times in Jesus's ministry. In Matthew 9, 24, he said, go away for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. And in Luke 8, 52, he said, and all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, do not weep for she is not dead, but sleeping. Those in Christ unless alive when he returns, will die physically, but not eternally. We will be at rest in the Lord. When we die from this existence, we simply go to rest in the Lord. You could say we're sleeping, but death has no power over us. First Thessalonians 4, 13 and 14, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Who's he talking about? Those outside of Christ. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Amen. Think of that. How could we worry about anything when the greatest worry of humanity, death, has been conquered and we're not subject to it. Just think of that. Talk about putting something in context. Now let's look at verses 14 and 15. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. So he knew Lazarus had died. But then he says, and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Now look back, if you go to verses 4 and 6. Four through six. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Is Jesus contradicting himself? He just said this illness does not lead to death. But then in verse four, he says, Lazarus has died. Interesting, isn't it? He stays two days longer. Now he claims Lazarus has died. Has he, is he contradicting himself? No, because Lazarus being in Christ, can never truly die. But then he says, and for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Now, this event had to have been a major factor in the faith and the belief of the disciples, just like Lazarus and his sisters. This had to have just rocked their world. This had to have been something that they were telling their kids and their grandkids. This had to have been a highlight of their walk with Christ. But what he says when he says, for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. That's why I opened with Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28 says that all things work together for the good of those that are called according to God's purpose. Most of the time when I hear people refer to that verse, these days, they're talking about things that happen to a person directly. They'll say, look back at your life and look at all the things the Lord brought you through to bring you to where you are now. And that's true. That's using 828 correctly. You know, I can look back at my life and look at the drug addiction and all the, the garbage that I was involved in in my younger years, but the Lord used all that to bring me to him and to bring me to where I am now. So I have to think, wow, God's grace and mercy was working even through so many years of darkness and sin. That's true. But what we see here is not just what happens to us directly, but Christ says all things work together. So he was using Lazarus's death, the suffering that his sisters had to go through, to affect those three through the context of Romans 8.28, but then also the disciples that witnessed it and all the people that witnessed it, and now us. All things work together for the good of those that God has called according to his purpose. Not just the things in your own personal life, but all things and that's why I say Christ is the center point, the singularity of creation. The gospel message is what everything was created to promote. You see, all things have been worked 
in such a way that if you are truly in Christ, it was for your will. It was for your good. Think of that. Fascinating to consider. Now in verse 16, oh, whoops, those verses I skipped. John eleven sixteen. so Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that, me, that we may die with him. Another strange verse. You don't know if Thomas is being flippant or sarcastic or if it's just a statement of faith. Did he mean die with Jesus or die with Lazarus or both? Because they knew Jesus had just been threatened with stoning, and they felt like if he went back to Judea, the first thing that was going to happen as soon as the, the, the Jewish leaders found out he was there, they were going to come and have him arrested and have him stoned. But then they're also told that Lazarus has just died. So you're not really sure what Thomas is referring to. But I would say that either way, Thomas knew firsthand the hatred that the Jews had for Christ, and nevertheless, he was willing to follow Christ, even if it meant that he would die in doing so. So there's a great lesson in that. That is a proper eternal Christian perspective. Philippians 1.21, Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What he's talking about is as I am, as Paul was walking in the flesh, carrying out his ministry, he was embodying Christ. Christ was the light in him that was giving him the power to do what he was doing and to live his life daily. That is the same for every Christian down through history. So if you are alive right now, you are Christ. And when you die, it is gain because you are no longer burdened by the limitations of this flesh, the temptations of this flesh, the darkness of this world. You go to rest in Christ. It's the ultimate win. So that's why Christ, that's why Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I'm winning now and I win even more then. Praise the Lord for that. And I'll close with 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Look to the things that are unseen. Don't be weighed down by the things of this world. Don't let what your government's doing and the COVID hoax and everything else weigh you down. Keep focused on Christ. Praise him. Worship him. And he'll bring you through this to his glory. And you'll look back on it years later and go, wow, that was such a crazy time. 2020, hopefully it'll be over by 2021. Those two years, hopefully that's all it is, or a year and a half. We're so insane, so crazy, so much confusion. But you know what? I grew in the Lord through that. Pray that that's how you can look back on this time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And I ask, Lord, that you would just bless each person that's listened to this message, that you would comfort the hearts that need comforting, that you would strengthen those that need strength, that you would inspire those that are lacking inspiration, and that more than anything, you would give each one of us uh, just an amazing uh, purpose. Fill us with fervency and zeal to serve you, to carry forward the message of the gospel, and let all that we do be for your glory and your praise and your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys, thanks for being here today. Please consider visiting elephantwalk.net. It is our ministry business. Um, my brother and I own this business. We started it to help support the ministry, to try to enable us to do more in the work that we feel called to do. And we need all the help we can get. So please consider visiting elephantwalk.net. If you decide to make a purchase, just type in the way at checkout, all lowercase, and you'll receive 10% off. Uh, we do just have an amazing product line. Uh, the business is really starting to take off. It's exciting. And I'm hoping that it helps us to, to do more of what we want to do. We really want to become more involved in helping people through water projects in Kenya. Most importantly, through... Uh, promoting the gospel message in Kenya, like I talked about earlier, and engaging more in the battle that needs to be fought there against false teachings and to winning souls for Christ through the gospel. And we're also hoping to get more and more involved in wildlife conservation. Um, I've always just had a heart for wildlife. Elephants have always been my favorite animal. And um, we want to do all we can to help the people and the animals of Kenya in every way we can. And that is why Elephant Walk was started. And as that grows, we hope to expand into other countries as well. So please consider helping us there. If you visit our website, you can do so at the way, the letter R, 
122.org. This message and all my messages are released as a podcast, audio-only version, the following week. And you can find the podcast at christianpodcastcommunity.org. Just search for The Way Radio in the search field. Um, we're on YouTube still at The Way Ministry Church. They haven't kicked us off yet. And a uh, new channel on Rumble is slowly starting to grow. Just search for The Way R122 on Rumble. Please consider donating at The Way R122. .org. I'm trying to figure out when to go to Kenya next. Like I say every week, we really want to get the Bible school situated in Nairobi. I'm trying to figure out a budget for that, but it's looking like we're probably going to need to raise between, I'm guessing, if we really want to make this thing go and just run, I'm guessing about $15,000 to $20,000 would just make this trip so successful because we could put in some more water tanks for people that need them. We could get Bibles for the churches in Nairobi. And then also there's another man that I want to help in another part of Kenya that's been contacting me for the last couple of years. Uh, his ministry is very much in need of Bibles. We want to help them. That's a new need that has just come up. Um, so there's a lot we want to do. And that's, I've been praying a lot about it, thinking about it. And I think that's about where the budget will need to be for this next trip. So please consider helping us with this. And if you can come online, if you can come on board and partner with us and make a commitment to supporting us monthly, that really helps because it helps us plan knowing what we can depend on. Uh, the COVID thing has just annihilated fundraising efforts. Um, it's been very difficult. I'm sure not just for us, but for every ministry, but you know what? The Lord's in control, not the COVID <laughs> people. Um, and I know that he will continue to open more and more doors for us. So please pray about that. Help us if you can. And we will be back here next time, next week, same time, same place. God bless you guys. Take care. <laughs>